The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. I'm joined by Orange Kellen. He's a performing and recording artist, a clarinetist. It's a great pleasure to have you with us. A pleasure is all mine. Tell all the listeners out there, where in the world are you right now? I'm in New Orleans, right in the middle of the French Quarter. And this is where you live? This is where I live. Yes, in the the vortex of jazz life in the French Quarter. And what is it like living in the French Quarter of New Orleans? Well, tell you the truth, things aren't what you like. Things ain't what they used to be, like the song says, and nothing is. Uh, you know, when I came here, it was it was a neighborhood where people lived. A lot of, you know, uh, artistic type people, you know, painters, writers, musicians, and alternative lifestyle people. Now it has turned into a uh, kind of a Disneyland. It's, it's basically geared all to tourists. And uh, there are not that many people living here permanently. More like services for normal people hardly exist in the French Quarter anymore. So it feels a little bit like living in the middle of Disneyland. But I've been here so long. I've been here. Yeah, I've been in this uh, this very uh, house for forty some years. And uh, so uh, I, I, I still think of it in some way, the way it used to be, but uh, I mean, it's still charming. It's beautiful old buildings in a, a very charming area, but it's, but uh, it isn't really geared to, to um, full-time living, I would say, anymore. And what is it like for you when you're living there and it's the Mardi Gras season? Well, it's, it's gearing up now and, and, uh, uh, next weekend, it will be mayhem here on my corner. It will just be wall-to-wall screaming, dancing, you know, loud musical speakers pulsating out into the street. And uh, half the people are drunk. And the <laughs> other half are even more drunk. <laughs> uh, and this goes on for a solid weekend. Spilling over into Monday and Tuesday, and Tuesday is the, the climax, and then come Ash Wednesday, everything is dead quiet. <laughs> it's like the whole party is over. But uh, but don't, don't try to uh, to rest or anything. If you live here in my corner, which is near the, in the corner near the corner of Bourbon and the Saint Philip Street, then it's just. Uh, it's just noisy day and night that weekend. <laughs> I guess so. And have you come to appreciate the types of cuisine that they make? The styles of cooking? Of course. Yeah, the styles of cooking, of course. That's, uh, that's part of the charm of living here. Uh, the cooking is, uh, is, is extraordinary. I mean, uh, on many levels. And, uh, I mean, a lot of people come here for the cooking, not for the music. <laughs> You know, it's it's uh, it's a foodies paradise, and 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 it's wonderful. I mean, you, you could easily overdo it, <laughs> and I do it. <laughs> I'm hoping you can tell us more about you. Where are you from originally? Sweden. 
I was born in Sweden and uh, uh, Stockholm uh, was my hometown. And I, I came here uh, a little over 50 years ago. And I've been living in New Orleans and, and also uh, in New York since then. I always had, 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 a, had my place here in New Orleans the whole time. And uh, in the uh, late 70s, I came up to New York with this show one more time that was very successful. And so I got an apartment in New York in that period, and I've actually held on to that apartment even to this day. So I've spent long periods in New York doing all kinds of things, starting with that show, but then later on other things. And when you decided to move to the United States, was that a scary thing? Well, I didn't decide to move to the United States. I came here, uh, I took a little break from university for a pilgrimage to catch what I thought was a tailor of real New Orleans jazz since 1966, with all the first generation jazz players, or second anyway, still alive and kicking and playing well. And I came here in October 1966, and I wasn't totally unknown because I'd made a few uh, records with a band we had as teenagers in Sweden, three EPs in fact, and so some people knew of it. And when I came here, I was uh, maybe within a month, I was offered to make a recording session with all the old-timers, Preservation Hall type musicians. And uh, the uh, recording company put me in the union, and uh, from that I started getting a few, union, a few you know, job offers and other recording offers. And uh, so my little pilgrimage, I thought it was going to be a few months, I thought I'd be home for Christmas, uh, kept extending and extending and extending. And uh, I came back to Sweden uh, for the first time six years later uh, on tour with the New Orleans band. And at that point, when I got back to Sweden, I realized I actually was not living in Sweden anymore. <laughs> uh, I thought I was on this like, kind of a you know, temporary thing in New Orleans. But I realized then that I was actually living full-time in the United States. So anyway, that was the story of my beginnings here. It wasn't, I didn't come with in intent to stay or to integrate. I came here for a visit that extended into a, a whole other life. So how does a Swedish guy get interested in New Orleans jazz? Uh, just like anybody else. Uh, you know, Sweden is connected to the civilized world. There's radio, television, movies, records, and uh, all these media that have, are, are spreading the word of, of jazz since the, the 1920s or even the teens also came by Sweden. Sweden, you know, was as aware of, of uh, what's going on in New Orleans as anybody elsewhere, let's say, like in the United States. Like somebody in Minnesota would have bought them, but the same idea was happening in New Orleans, like somebody in Stockholm, you know. So thanks, thanks to the modern world. <laughs> what is it, if you could put it into words, that you like about this style of music? Oh, uh, 
Well, just start the music. It, uh, I think that the subject of why you start liking something or not is pretty mysterious. Why do some people take to a certain style of anything or not? And I don't think it's as simple as, you know, parental influences. A lot of people hate what their parents like, and other people love it. So it's it's uh, uh, it's almost like it's a love at first sight, I think. You know, you hear it, you say, oh, this is fantastic, you know, and then you, you just like it, and you might hear something else, and it leaves you cold. Why it is, I, uh, I don't think anybody can tell you. I remember the first time I heard, I mean, I heard, uh, you know, maybe jazz was sort of in the air, you know, when I was a kid in the 50s. So you could hear it on the radio and people playing it on records, you know, you went to a party, there would be some kind of jazz playing. And I remember seeing the Benny Goodman story when I was like 12 or something and thought, oh, it was fantastic. It was a wonderful sound in the clarinet. And I just thought that I don't really want to play the clarinet. I also remember when I first heard, consciously heard, like real New Orleans jazz. And I was, I was maybe 15. There was a program on the radio and they played this record from uh, the uh, American music record label, which uh, Bill Russell was a uh, creator of. And, uh, it was a, just a four-piece band, and I thought, I was taught to the floor, and I thought, it was unbelievably good. And, you know, why, I don't know, but it was just hit a spot. And then I started searching out more of that kind of stuff and find out other people, other young musicians, you know, that like to play it, and they formed a little band and uh, that kind of thing, you know, like people used to back in those days, you know. So you mentioned Benny Goodman, but right. past and present, who are some of the clarinetists who have impressed you? Well, I mean, I moved on from Benny Goodman and I discovered there's a lot more to the world of clarinet. And, and, and uh, so many great players. And I guess I was particularly enamored of the so-called New Orleans Creole School of Clarinet Playing. Uh, like uh, Jimmy Noon, uh, Albert Nicholas, uh, uh, Ormus Simeon, all kinds of names. But I, but I, you know, I liked all the New Orleans stuff. I liked all kinds of players, in fact. But um, you know, to limit it, shouldn't really limit it all as like that. But that was really my my first love was that, and also liked you know all these soulful type New Orleans players like Johnny Dodds and um, I mean, all the big names. I, I, I sucked it all in. I was talking on email with our mutual friend, Connell Fawkes. Oh, yes. The great Connell Fawkes. And he oh, had yes. many kind words to say about you. Oh, well, I have many kinds of words to say about him. Wonderful player, wonderful person, and I enjoyed every moment playing with him. How did you come to meet him? Well, uh, he had moved, I was in New York already. Uh, it's in my New York period. <laughs> we were working on a show, 
a new show, and uh, I needed a, a piano player that had certain capabilities, like would be a, a good reader and uh, had a, a, um, a good feel for for vintage jazz. Then one of the players in the band, Eddie Davis, probably you also have talked to, he recommended, oh, there's this new guy in town who's uh, playing around, and, and, and they recommended him, and uh, he came, uh, and, and uh, I don't know if he auditioned, maybe he tried out to rehearse, I don't know exactly how he did, but it, I was, it was at love at first listening. You know, it was just, uh, he was just totally right in, in every respect. And uh, so after that show, uh, we started we started playing other gigs and uh, I mean, all kinds of things happened after that, basically, including uh, all the way up to one more time show on Broadway. I done touring around uh, the States and, and Europe and uh, that kind of thing. For people who perform this type of music, would you say that it's almost like a fraternity? Yeah, I would say it probably is. Uh, well, I wouldn't say fraternity, and I would exclude the sisters. There are some, there's both uh, boys and girls, and, and there's uh, both musicians and, and, and aficionados. Uh, so it isn't limited to... Uh, a fraternity, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a uh, coterie, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what the word is. But it's young and old. It's, it's um, men and women, young and, you know, it's uh, all different nationalities. You tend to, maybe if you don't know people personally, but you tend to be aware of people, you know, that, that, that uh, I, mean, I mean, not, I wouldn't say not even nearly Everyone, you're aware of a lot of them, you know. What musician that you have worked with have you been the most in awe of? Oh, wow. That's a big subject. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a big subject because, you know, I, I play with, with some of the, you know, most famous and greatest musicians that are now dead and gone, you know, that, uh, that will just take your breath away, you know, like Earl Hines. I mean, uh, recording session with him for three days and it was like totally breathtaking. Uh, you know, I played with, you know, festival, uh, with Teddy Wilson, other piano player and, uh, and some of the other, you know, like Zuda Singleton, George Brunis. Just to mention a few, you know, names of the all around circuit, but also many great, uh, New Orleans based musicians that didn't really I travel outside of all as much and uh, other names, you know, like Jabo Smith was like a genius. That's just how they're old timers. And there are many young musicians that, uh, that uh, I'm totally blown over by as well, that people my age or even younger than myself that I, you know, loved every moment playing with them. You know, like, uh, like in New York, he was, uh, a bunch of people there was a nice, nice clicky musicians that I really love playing with. I'm if I start, if I start mentioning names, I'm afraid I'm gonna forget somebody and maybe insult somebody by not mentioning them. You know, it's very hard to single some people out 
and then not mention others, you know. And then for me, the list is big. What do you think of the playing of Ken Poplowski? Oh, I love his playing. He's a fabulous musician. I haven't, I haven't really played anything much with him. I, I don't think, uh, I mean, when I played on a jam session or something, but I mean, I heard him like, like an audience member, but uh, I don't remember having actually worked with him at any point, you know. So if you work with somebody, you have a, another dimension, you know, to, to your knowledge of a musician. You know? What do you think of the playing of Woody Allen? Oh, Woody Allen, he's a, he's a very passionate player. I mean, he's, he is, uh, you can tell that he, he believes what he's doing and he's really into it. And, uh, this basically playing out of pure love for the music. I'm hoping you can tell the listeners some of your all time favorite records. Well, <laughs> Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's like the question of, you know, was the Desert Island record, you know, I would mean, have to start chronologically, I guess, you know, Ken Oliver, Creole jazz band is a must. There's so much to be learned from that. General Morton's Red Hot Peppers, and there's so much to be learned from that. I mean, there, there, there are, um, there are records that will never die. Uh, I, mean, I don't know how much I want to go on, but I would say from a traditional jazz perspective, those are, uh, you know, those are the, uh, maybe the fundamental records. But you can go on, you know, Charlie Parker's dial session or the audio shows, you know, and, early big bands or that kind of thing, you know, but uh, as more profile as I, as a New Orleans style player, so I was probably limit myself to that for this interview. Now, as far as other genres of music, right? do you like or listen to other things other than jazz? Yeah, I, I you know, there's all kinds of... Uh, uh, you know, like folk music, like Brazilian, early Brazilian folk music, chorus and, uh, you know, Martinique folk music. But uh, I haven't made a study of any of it. It's just, you know, all kinds of stuff I like to listen to. But I haven't lived it like I have no one Do you compose music? I would say no. I mean, I have written a few tunes and all that, but I wouldn't say what they call myself a composer. No. There's really uh, not much outlet for what I'm doing for original material. Tell the listeners about the first time you went to Preservation Hall. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't remember that pretty well, too. That was, uh, that was in uh, October 1966. And I, uh, I had been waiting all day for it to open. That was so... Looking forward so much for to to uh, you know to uh, get to hear live New Orleans jazz in New Orleans, and I was totally blown over. The first thing that struck me was the rhythm, you know, how different the rhythm. I'm not talking about just the rhythm section, 
I'm talking about the rhythm that everybody had. It's a certain seal, a certain rhythm, and you don't quite get it listening to records as you do when you hear, heard it live. And it was like it was like an explosion, and it was so powerful at the same time. It was so relaxed, and it was so happy at the same time as it was sad. It was uh, all this mixture. It was a uh, it's a total uh, explosion in my life. But I would say rhythm was number one. The one rhythm, or, or the gro- groove, I guess a modern word for it is, the groove was really what, what struck me most of all. Do you find that New Orleans is a good place for a musician to live? I do. I think it is. Uh, I think uh, there's probably more live music per capita in New Orleans and anywhere else, including New York City. And there's a lot of live music going on in seconds all over the place. By the, there's 10 million people in the, in the New York area. And the New Orleans area is three or maybe 400, if you include the distant, you know, satellite cities. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a small town. Uh, but in restaurants and music, it's a big town. And I meet all these musicians you know, young and old, ask him how they're doing. Everybody's doing great, and everybody's working. Everybody's making a living. Maybe nobody's getting rich, hmm. but they're make, but they're making a living. Some people are buying houses, and they're buying cars, and, and you know, maybe have a family, have a kid or two. I mean, this it's my. And I was living in New York for a number of years, and so many musicians were just living hand to mouth, and nobody really could afford to buy anything, and there was. Uh, more of a struggle than it is in New Orleans. And the equation is, is more in the musician's favor. You know, the, uh, I guess the, the one aspect of New Orleans living is it's compared to New York, for instance, or maybe other big metropolitan areas, like the, the uh, housing is cheaper. To rent an apartment is much cheaper than it is in other big cities in, in the States. But for musicians, there's also a lot more outlet for playing. Things have changed since I first started playing. When I started playing, it was uh, almost everything was union union that I did. I mean, there was lots and lots of non-union work, but that was in the union, so I played union work. And it was enough to make keep me happy working, you know, maybe 10, 10 gigs a week, probably, that average 10 gigs a week. And the musicians now, there, there's a whole lot of uh, playing for the door, as they call it. But you, you get a piece of the bar, or you pass the tip bucket, or you sell CDs, you know, and put all that proceed in the pot, and you split the tech, and, and uh, they end up making, you know, as much as the union guys do, or maybe more. And everybody's working all the time. I'm not particularly in favor or playing for the door because I'm an old timer, I guess. I think people should get a, a, a living wage, I guess you call it, and not play for tips, you know, not depend on tips. Just like a restaurant worker, I think, should be able to count on a living wage and tips are, you know, on the side. But anyway, that's not how it works. The modern economy, 
paperwork for tips and uh, that kind of stuff, you know. But it seemed to work out for musicians, and everybody seemed to be happy. It's also a very lively uh, street scene in New Orleans. You see people playing the streets and the squares and all, and all the time. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. But <laughs> what has being a musician taught you about people? But what they have been being musician taught me about people. Yeah. Humanity or audiences in general. There is something about people as an audience. But, you know, uh, there is a, there is a mass thing going on. I used to, you know, these shows uh, in New York, a lot in New York and also traveling around touring, whatever, in London and uh, all that kind of stuff. And, and to, you know, ask the question, what they talk about audience, but one thing about the audiences are that like every audience seems to have a personality. And every, it's like different city or especially with a different country, there is a certain personality for that country. You know, the reactions tend to be certain things they do in that, I say in Italy, for instance. They will start clapping and uh, yelling, bravo, bravi, you know, traffic in the middle of a song or in the middle of a performance. And, and uh, it's kind of nice. I don't mind it at all. And here, I mean, if you play in England, there's not a sound. It's oh shit, really bombing here tonight. Not so much even after the songs, you know, but then after the whole performance, they will stand up and scream and give a standing elevation that they have loved it. Meanwhile, they've been also polite. So coming from America, it's, it's unusual. I'm used to American audiences, much, you know, there, but even there, there is some, there are differences depending on age bracket, perhaps, depending on venue. And, um, but they, they tend to act as one audiences. So like the mass thing going on, you know, people leap to their feet as one or they don't as one. Uh, and, and there's also certain, uh, you know, you get to sort of, feel of communicating. You can also, sometimes you can even tell if they can hear well, like if this something is off with the sound, you can tell the reaction from the audience. Now, as far as I'm talking about people in general, I would say not so much because if, if you pe- meet people as individuals, they say after a show, there are times we've done a show and Part of the gig is you have to go out and sign records afterwards and talk to the people. You know, it sounds like it is a might be a drag, but most of the time it is. It can be quite interesting. Hmm. But then people come up and talk, and and uh, and uh, you know, there's uh, it varies with age group how people talk to you, uh, what they say. You know, older folks will tell you tell you about the grandkids, which may hit limited interest <laughs> to yourself, but that's, that's the main interest in their life is that, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> what is the best thing about being Orange Kellen? Oh, <laughs> what's the best thing about Well, well, I would say, I would say, I can't say myself a pretty lucky, lucky guy. And uh, I've been able to do uh, 
you know, a lot of what I wanted to do. I, I never thought I could do. Uh, when I came here, I had no ambition or or even uh, hopes that I would be able to make a living playing music. But deep down, that's all I ever wanted to do. So for that reason, I found myself very lucky that I came here and 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 things turned out well in my career. So if I had to do it again, I would do the same thing again. You and I were discussing a song at one point, an old song. Oh, yeah, yeah. The way I got rid of all this, that's the stuff you were talking about. <laughs> yeah. You want to play that? <laughs> yeah, an a cappella performance. Okay. Let me see if this works. I'll check my gear again. Thank you. Was that enough? That was great. Thank you very much. Okay. I thought it wasn't too much. <laughs> uh, it was good. Very good. Okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, until next time. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for calling. <laughs> thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. The Paul Leslie Hour is hosted, produced, and written by Paul Leslie for Lifestyles Entertainment. For information, visit thepaulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time. <laughs>